maybe you've noticed that in the last several months I've been choosing certain phrases that are common in our language that find their origin in the scriptures. For example, last week we were looking at how the mighty have fallen. How many times have we heard that expression? And I wanted you to see that it comes directly from the scriptures. And of course, the idea then is to explain the context, to explain what the spiritual lessons are for us as we look at these various phrases. Uh, truth is, is that when I started compiling this list, I was rather surprised at how many phrases, how many um, various terminology come from the scriptures and are common to our language today. The point being is that our culture in the past has been heavily Christianized. There has been a great influence in our culture, in our nation, at every level from the scriptures. The Bible has spoken. And as I said in the past, uh, we breathe the scriptures from day to day and we really don't realize it. Just recently, um, well, last week, Diane Fippen, um, these missionaries that are going out to Malawi, uh, explained to me how it at her um, uh, ice cream parlor that's up for sale because they're moving to Africa, she noted to me that there are various ancient sayings on the wall uh, throughout the ice cream parlor, just ancient sayings, and people come in and they read them and they say, oh wow, that's very wise. Oh, that's a good saying. They appreciate the content of these ancient sayings, and then they ask her, so where do you get these ancient sayings? And she says, the Bible. (laughs) The Bible. And they say, oh, oh. Uh, It's unfortunate because today many people see the Bible as outdated. And yet, If you've been reading the scriptures, you know that it actually is very contemporary. It speaks to where you are today directly, and it does change lives. I'm living testimony of the transformative power of the Word of God, and I trust that you can echo the same words as well. Well, you'll recall that in the scriptures, back in Matthew chapter 22, when Christ was asked, What are the two supreme commandments? What are the two greatest commandments for the Christian life? Jesus Christ responded first, number one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Makes good sense, doesn't it? That we would love God with our whole entire being. That's the greatest commandment. And they said, then what's the second? And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all of your being, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And certainly, we do love ourselves, don't we? We love ourselves. We never want to be second. We never want to be rejected. We never want to be denied. We always feed ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We bathe ourselves. Why? Because we love ourselves. And that's fine. We should care for ourselves. But by the same token here, Christ says, well, love others in the same way that you love yourself. That's a deep amount of love. I think you would agree. And you'll notice that in saying this, Matthew 22, Jesus Christ is simply summarizing the Ten Commandments. 
Half of the Ten Commandments is about love for God first, and the second half is about loving others. Second, love God first will determine the way in which to love others. And these two commandments, if you do take them to heart, first and the second, if you do take them to heart, those two commandments will actually spur you to speak the gospel to other people. If you sincerely take those two commandments to heart, you will be compelled to tell others of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because you love God so much and you love others so much that you want to tell them about what God has done because it glorifies Him and it satisfies the listener. No one who loves the Lord with his entire self and who therefore loves others as he loves himself will keep the gospel to himself. It is inevitable, I say. That person will actually look for opportunities to share with other people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Some people will do it readily. Some people will do it with hesitation. But everyone who loves God and others will look for opportunities to say, hey, can I tell you about what God has done through Jesus Christ? In fact, I'll even tell you what he's done for me. For some people, those words just roll off their lips. They sit in an airplane, and the first thing they do is share the gospel. Most people are more like me. You pray about it, you think about it, and you wonder, is this actually a good opportunity? But you want to share the gospel. It's your desire to share the gospel. Sometimes it is frightening, though, isn't it, to share the gospel? And as that very fast video told us, it's not enough to simply live the gospel. You actually have to speak the gospel. Notice what we read in Romans chapter 10. It does not say that that faith comes by seeing the gospel, but by hearing the gospel. And when it it says hearing, you could read it, or it could be audible from somebody else's mouth. It could be from the pulpit to you. Whatever the case, the gospel must be conveyed in words and not just seen in action. Now, it is important that people see the gospel in action, but first it needs to be spoken. That's rather clear. So let me then give to you some insights regarding the practice of sharing the gospel with other people. And then secondly, I want to discuss with you the power of the word of God in that order. So let's begin with a few points, several points that I think will compel you to share the gospel with others. Do you find it hard to to share the gospel? Uh, Some of you will say no. But most of you will say yes. It is not easy. And have you noticed that it's extremely difficult, especially with those people who are nearest to us, whom we are afraid will reject the gospel. And thus, we feel like We are going to put a wedge between us and them. It's very easy to share the gospel when they don't know me. When they're strangers. Now, you know, a couple years ago I shared the gospel on a daily basis several times 
while uh, being in Cuba. And it was so easy to share the gospel again and again and again. And there was one particular man, Dennis, who I hope to run into again uh, in Cuba. Um, why would I run into him? Uh, because he roams the streets and, and plays music for tourists in, in Havana. And I hope to be able to see Dennis again, share the gospel with him. He listened intently. He listened so intently and was so happy, he did not charge me for the song he sang for me. I felt very odd, awkward, being sung a love ballad by two men on a guitar. <laughs> but that's what they do for a living. I said, I'll let you sing to me if you listen to my gospel. And they said, sure. And he had plenty of questions afterwards. But, you know, it was very easy to share the gospel with him because how often do I go to Havana? Maybe more often than you, but seldom is it often. But sharing the gospel with people I see and live with from day to day can be rather intimidating. It can be rather difficult. And yet, it is essential for their soul, for their sake. It's not essential for you, for your soul, but it's essential for them. And it is a demonstration of their love, your love for them, even as you love yourself. But it's also a demonstration of your love of God and your appreciation towards Christ for what he's done for you. Share the gospel. I would love to be able to say that within all of us who know Christ, that there is this sense of what Paul said, woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. Can you say that's you? I'm not saying you preach the gospel every day, but you really would love to be able to do so more so, more readily, well, let me speak to you about a few ways in which you will be more compelled to share the gospel. You will be more compelled to share the gospel. You will be, here's number one or A, you will be more readily compelled to share the gospel with confidence if you understand the authority of the word of God. Consider the authority of the word of God. I understand many people think that the word of God is so outdated, it's so old-fashioned, that there's no sense, no reason why we should in any way apply it to life today. But keep in mind that the word of God flows towards the cross of Christ. It is the norm. It is culture. It is mankind that is swimming against the current. The word of God has authority. We don't ascribe that authority. It is authoritative. Let me show to you what the scriptures say about itself in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, for the word of God, that's this word right here, the Bible, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is the power of the word of God. My friends, let me remind you that God's word is true. And it is in that truth that we find its power. 
When you share the gospel with somebody, please understand that your confidence is not in yourself. It's not in your ability to relate to people or in your ability to explain the gospel clearly. Your confidence needs to be in the authority of the word of God. Romans chapter 10, what we read earlier, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel message, that message of Jesus Christ, is the conduit by which we are granted faith to believe. Faith comes... When people hear the scriptures, it doesn't mean that everyone will have faith when they hear, but it does mean this. They will not have faith unless they hear the gospel. And so it is important. And so don't muddy the gospel with peripherals. Certainly don't muddy the gospel with your own doubts. Rather, give God's word in its full dose and do it wisely Gently, clearly, and with love. Speak the gospel. Here's a second point to compel you to share the gospel more so. B, know that the person you speak to needs Christ. Know that the person you are speaking to does need Christ. Now, as I was putting these words together, I was simply taking from various sources of people who I've read or listened to in the past, and this is one that always stands out in my mind. Understand that the person you're speaking to does need a Savior. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 makes that very clear. It says, For all who? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And the person you're speaking the gospel to is now presently dead in transgressions and sins. And that's why you want to speak the gospel. So that that person by faith will move from that death, that spiritual death, to spiritual life. Whenever you share the gospel, you have this assurance. That person needs a savior. That person may know it or may not know it. But you know it. Because the scriptures say so. He may not look like he needs a savior. Maybe she does look like she needs a savior. But the Bible rings true again and again. That person is lost in iniquity. She is helpless to save herself. He needs someone to rescue him. That person needs a redeemer. So be confident of that as you share the gospel. Here's a third or letter C. For your own personal encouragement. Ask people who you know are in Christ to share their testimony with you. In casual conversation among Christians... Maybe while you're sipping a cup of coffee, maybe while you're finishing off your dessert. Ask that person how they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I do believe that you will be encouraged by that account. I think you will be encouraged to see how Christ called that person and drew that person to himself and saved that person's soul. 
Some of the stories are fascinating. Others are more like mine, rather dull. But boy, do I thank the Lord that it's a dull experience, that I did not have to go through the ravages of life in order to come to Christ first. He spared me. It's a boring story, but boy, is it exciting to me. Maybe the person came to Christ because a faithful Sunday school teacher explained the gospel again and again and again over the years until that, that child, that person, finally said, yes, Lord, I give my life to you. Maybe it was through loving parents who tutored their children in the things of God and that child realized, I need a Savior Maybe it was a fascinating story, a dramatic story of horrific failures that finally led that person to the cross. You know, just this week, uh, I was uh, speaking to a young man who's a pastor out in uh, Yardley, Pennsylvania. And he used to live not far from here in Patterson. And his testimony was one of being a drug dealer in Patterson. But he wasn't some street corner drug dealer. He was uh, working in a lawyer's office, a Jewish lawyer's office. And he was able to steal money from her in order to buy his drugs. And then he was making good money on the streets. Making very good money on the streets until he got caught. Now, in his story, he explains to me that he did not hang around with bad people. He was the bad people others hung around with. That's how bad he was. He lost everything, by the way, when the lawyer finally caught him. But this Jewish lawyer, get this, a Jewish lawyer, very Jewish lawyer, said either I'm going to send you to jail or you need to go to this Christian rehab center in New York. He went to the rehab center. He heard the gospel. He gave his life to Christ. Today, he's a young pastor in Pennsylvania. He would rather have my story, in all honesty, because it was very hard to live the way he did. But boy, it sure does make for a good story, doesn't it? Of the power of God to save even the most wretched. He deserved jail. He stole. He gave drugs to children on the streets. But God redeemed him. His boss forgave him. But more importantly, his Savior forgave him. Maybe the testimony will be of stories um, of illnesses. Uh, people who were at their worst, about to die. And so they come to Christ for hope. Uh, maybe it's a story of how somebody on the subway gave them a gospel track. And they said, oh, what's this? But in the solitude of their bedroom, they opened it up after they found it folded in their pocket and they read it. They heard the gospel and they turned to Christ. There are so many different stories. Ask. Ask and be encouraged by how Christ brought those individuals to himself and see how wonderful God's miraculous drawing is as people heard the proclaimed gospel. I think you will be encouraged to share the gospel once you see more readily how people have come to Christ. Ask. 
So how did you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And I tell you, they will be delighted to tell you their experience, their own stories. Here is letter D. Number four. In order to be constrained to share the gospel, do this. Reflect on the realities of hell and heaven. Think about heaven. Think about hell. You know, we live in such a pressed world. There's such a tension between those things that I need to do right now and those things I ought to do. And it seems like the urgent always gets precedence. It seems like the urgent always takes place over the things that are more important. The present urgent over the future urgent. The present urgent seems to always win. Well, let me just point something out to you. I think this is just a a fascinating portion of scripture I came across. Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 23. Just listen to these words. I'll read a bigger portion, but just listen especially to the first part. Psalm 119, beginning at 23. says, Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statues are my delight. They are my counselors. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teachings of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. Now here you have a man who said, who said that he is being slandered by those who are above him or those who are leaders in a community. His bosses, his peers... He's being slandered. They hate him. They mock him. So what does he do? Does he sit there and sulk? Does he sit there and say, wow, I wonder what I can do to change my situation? Does he sit there and ponder, how can I get them back? Does he sit there and wonder, what can I do to change their minds and their opinion about me? No. Most of us would be be doing just that, right? Oh, why do they slander me? Oh, it's so unfair. And we would ponder these things and think about it and think about it and think about it until it depresses us. What does the psalmist do? He says, though they sit together, they're joined together, and they slander me, what do I do? I meditate on your decrees. It's pretty wise. It's not that he doesn't have other things he can be thinking about that are urgent. He says the priority is the word of God. And it is because he focuses on the principles of God that he's able to deal with those who slander him. Isn't it an awful thing when we're slandered, when people say things about us that are simply not true? I mean, it hurts when they are true. It's even worse when they're not true. What does the psalmist say? David. He says, I meditate on your word. There are urgent, present urgent things, but he says there are more urgent things, and that is your word. He deliberately sets aside time to contemplate God's word. And let me encourage you to contemplate the realities of heaven and hell. And when we begin to contemplate the realities, the majesty of heaven, the awfulness of hell, it will compel us to more readily speak the gospel to other people. Do not wait for Sunday to think about these things. 
Unfortunately for many of us, Sunday is the only time we think about these matters. We force ourselves to think about these matters by coming to church. But let me encourage you to think about these things seven days a week. To meditate and contemplate the truths of God. In particular, specifically for this morning, the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. They're both true. And people will be in both. And those who will be in hell are those who deny Christ. Those who will be in heaven are those who come to Christ. You know, one of my fondest memories of when I was a, 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 well, a junior high or a teenager was watching my father read the scriptures and pray. We lived in a three-story house. My room was on a third story. There were five of us. That means the bathroom was always occupied. And so I would uh, make my way every morning down to the basement. There was a bathroom there, and I would prepare myself for the day there. And in getting to the bathroom, there was my father at his desk reading the scriptures. On occasion, he would look up and say, Good morning. But he was so focused on the word of God, morning after morning, seven days a week. That's how he started his day. By the time I got out of that basement bathroom, I would see him on his knees praying. Meditating on the word of God. And it set the stage for the rest of the day. And if you knew my father, you would know that heaven and hell were often thoughts on his mind. Still are. Still are. He contemplates these eternal truths. I would suggest you do the same. Here is another way by which you can more be motivated to share the gospel. Letter E. Consider the sovereignty of God. Consider the fact that God is in full control. The truth is, we see in the scriptures, is that God will save who he chooses to save. We cannot bend his arm and make him do anything. And God saves who he decides to save. Yet, he has determined that we, his people, his church, would be the mouthpiece by which he will save people. You are his mouthpiece. I am his mouthpiece. He saves, but he does so as we speak the gospel of Christ. And take a look, for example, at the book of Romans. We read chapter 10, but if you go to, or at least in part, if you go to chapter 9, you'll notice something very particular about Romans chapter 9. I think that Romans 9 is one of the least read portions of the New Testament, and yet it's so beautiful and so essential. Romans chapter 9 speaks about the sovereignty of God. And it speaks about how God will accomplish whatever he determines to accomplish. We do not need to agree with him. We do not even need to understand him. We need to, under, to understand and know this. God will do as he pleases. He's God. No one can stop him. That's Romans chapter 9. It's not about our effort. It's not about our negligence. God will do whatever he pleases. We cannot stop him. We cannot add to what God is doing. That's Romans chapter 9. But then we come to Romans chapter 10. And keep in mind that it's a flowing sequence of ideas. Don't let the chapter suggest to you that here's a new idea. No, the, the ideas keep flowing through. 
Chapter 9 is about the sovereignty of God. Chapter 10 speaks about us, therefore, going out to be the evangelizers, the ones who will evangelize the lost. God will do what he is going to do, but he calls on you to go and be the mouthpiece so that he will do what he has deemed he will do. He calls on us to join his battle. He calls on us to fall under his leadership with all allegiance and to become part of what he's doing. Uh, isn't Isn't it a privilege to be participants in what God is doing? Why us? And Christ says, because I want you to be. What a privilege it is, right? To be on the side of God. To be on the side of God. Uh, this past um, three years ago, I received an email and asked me if I wanted to be a part of a phone call with then President Trump. I said, oh, what a privilege. What a privilege. And so on a monthly basis, I didn't talk to him, but he talked to me and about 5,000 others. <laughs> but I considered it a privilege to be on the horn with the President of the United States. Now, he didn't know I was there, but I was among those who were, who, who was there. How much more is it a privilege to be on the line with God? To be a mouthpiece for the eternal, almighty creator of this earth to be on his side, to be counted as one in his army, to be used by him for his sake, for his glory, and for the good of others. Here's one more for you, letter F. If you want to more readily speak the, the, the gospel, consider the cross and the length that God went to save souls. Consider the cross and the length that God went in order to save souls. It's really hard to be neutral about the cross. I realize people hang crosses on their homes and don't think twice about it. We wear crosses around our necks and don't think about it. But if you actually considered what the cross is, it's hard to be neutral about it. It really is. And when you consider the depths that Christ took in order to save just one individual. When you consider the pain, when you consider the wrath that he absorbed, when you consider the fact that God became man and set aside all his rights and glory in order to become a servant, to become a human servant who would die on a cross, it's hard to be neutral about the cross. It's hard to be neutral about what Christ has done. Look at Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 7. It says, Jesus Christ made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Which, by the way, was an awful death. It is very difficult not to share the gospel, not to evangelize, when you consider all that Christ has done for you and for others when he went to the cross. 
So hopefully these, uh, what is it, seven? A, B, C, D, E, F, six. Six points will help you want to and engage in sharing the gospel with others. But let me take a shift to the left a little. Uh, I was reading a guy who said just that, and it sort of caught my eye when this conservative uh, writer says, I'm shifting to the left. It really made me want to read the next paragraph. And here I am shifting to the left as well. Uh, What I mean is, is exactly what he meant. We read from left to right, correct? And what I want to do is show to you, by shifting to the left, that everything I said so far will be useless unless you first begin here with this next point on your left. I want you to see the potency, the ability of the Word of God, because of its authority, to shape your life. Unless the Word of God is shaping your life, you are not going to want to share the gospel. You see? Sharing the gospel is important, but let's shift over to what is first. Let the word of God shape your life. And as the word of God is shaping your life, it will naturally make you want to share the gospel with other people. Why? Because God's word is indeed powerful. Uh, Jonathan Lehman writes that God's word gives life. It's powerful. God's word leads you to Jesus Christ. Remember the words of Peter in John chapter 6? Peter said to Jesus Christ, where would we go? You have the words of life. God's word gives us life. It gives us freedom. Freedom from our past. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom from condemnation. And God's word gives us affection. God's word actually teaches us how to love, how to forgive. God's word teaches us how to love God and how to love others. It teaches us how to love the things of God. It teaches us affection. And God's word also gives us action. It equips us in order to serve by first placing in us a desire to serve. You know why a lot of people don't want to serve God? Because they don't have a desire to serve God. You know why they don't have a desire to serve God? Because they don't know Christ. You know why they don't know Christ? Because they're still lost and dead in their sins. And that's what they choose to be. We have to actually go out of our way as Christians... To stifle that beckoning voice of Christ to come and serve me. And a lot of people do just this. I don't hear you. I don't want to hear you, Lord. I don't want to serve you. But there's a voice there that beckons. That beckons. It just calls and calls and calls. And unfortunately, a lot of people have learned to ignore it. But it's still there. God's word actually gives us action. When God's word is vibrant in you, it will reverberate in you and then to others within one another. Psalm 143, rather, verse 3. Psalm 143, verse 8. Did I say that right? Yes. It reads this way. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. 
for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. My friends, the word of God will actually reconstruct your life. My daily inclination is to live my life the way I please, the way I want to. Uh, You know, every morning I set out to do what I want to do. But it's because of God's word that my day is detoured. My will is overcome. My, My will goes in a different direction. And it goes in the direction of God's will. Why? Because of God's word. Eliminate God's word from my life and I will be an awful person. And so will you. Incrementally, as I ingest the word of God, my will morphs into God's will. And as I expose myself to the word of God, I begin to realize that Christ God is Lord. And it challenges me then to place my will under this reality. God is Lord. And it reminds me on a daily basis that I need to follow him today. In that sense, I apply the cross to myself every day, every morning. God's word is essential, my friends, because it shapes your life into what it needs to be. It's transformative. So let me ask you, how serious are you about the word of God? Do you have ears to hear? Well, then you ought to listen. Let me give you a quick example. In Luke chapter 10, you see Mary and Martha, two sisters. Uh, And of course, as sisters, they have the same background. They live in the same house. Uh, Maybe you read the story, and you know that Martha was certainly a doer. What a doer she was. You want to get the job done? Call Martha. She saw a task, and she wanted to see it done. No time to waste. That was Martha. Go with what you have till it's all gone. Get the job done. I don't need to listen. I've already heard. Now let's get the job done. That was Martha. Now there was her sister Mary. Uh, Mary was the one who would stop and listen. Uh, She stopped to absorb fellowship with Jesus Christ. And as Christ was visiting their home, Martha's doing all the work. Where's Mary? Where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Christ, listening. Now, like most of us, Martha was angry. Don't you see that there's coffee to be served? Have you put out the the dessert yet? Where are the napkins? Is the table in order? Is the house in order? That was Martha. And, And Mary, instead of helping, what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Christ And she's just taking it all in. She's just listening. She wanted to know more of Christ. She sat at the edge of her seat to hear the next word that would come out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because she knew that the words of Christ were transformative. She knew that the words of Christ would change her life. And what is astounding to many people is that Jesus Christ commended Mary, but he did not commend Martha. He commended Mary because Mary stopped 
of all the things that there was to do, and there was plenty to do. He, she stopped and she absorbed the words of Jesus Christ and allowed the words of Christ to seep into her soul. Whereas Martha's actions, although they were good actions, they were completely dismissed. Uh, look at what we read in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Uh, Jesus Christ said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things except for what is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Stop and listen. Consume the words of God. Now, Lehman writes that God's word is the most powerful force in the universe. Do you believe that? The most powerful force in the universe. Greater than gravity, greater than the atomic bomb, the word of God. Uh, so, my friends, you, you have to consume God's word. You, you have to regularly expose yourself to his word, not just on the Lord's Day morning. It will transform you. It will. I'm not saying just little tidbits here and there. Consume it like a meal. It will reconstruct your life. Let me tell you another story. It's a story of a Nigerian drug dealer. A lot of drug dealer stories today. Where was I this week? <laughs> Not Patterson. Um, a Nigerian drug dealer. And what this guy did is he stole Bibles from a church. And the reason he stole Bibles from the church, he figures, hey, this is good rolling paper. And what he was doing is he was taking each page, rolling it up, and smoking it. He would put his, his dope in it and, and roll it up and smoke it. And he came one page at a time to Psalm 34. That's a lot of dope. Okay? <laughs> Psalm 34. And as he tears out that page, he comes across this one verse, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. Now, he was tasting the word of God, that's for sure. <laughs> but not in the sense that we read here in the text. Well, those powerful words penetrated him. He, he couldn't shake those words from his mind. And so he went and looked for a Christian man who would be able to explain Psalm 34, 8 to him. And there, upon having uh, understood what, what Psalm 34 is, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Uh, this drug dealer gave his life to Christ. And there he found freedom. Freedom from his drugs, freedom from his desire for more money, freedom from his sin, freedom from his past. And he also found affection. Affection, a love for God, and even a love for his fellow man. And there he was equipped and there he found action. In fact, his action led him to the United States, where he enrolled at, at, at a seminary in Kentucky. And there he learned the gospel well, and he learned how to teach the word of God. And you know where he went back to? Nigeria. And today he pastors a church in Nigeria. Because he tasted, and he saw that the Lord is good. 
Let me close with one more story. You know, preaching God's word is like a faucet. But what good is a faucet if there's nothing to catch the water in? What good is a faucet if the water just runs and pours back into the ground? My friends, if God is the faucet, if the preaching of God's word is the faucet, then you are the bowl under the faucet intended to catch the words of God. Here, what we do here from week to week, and this is important to all of you online, uh, to all of us here, and I encourage you to be here at church, to set aside this online stuff. It's good for those who cannot be here, not for those who would rather coffee in their pajamas on a Sunday morning, or who have found other things to do. Here we have the faucet, God's word running, pouring out, and the bowl. God's people catching the water, the word of God. As God's word is being poured out from week to week from the pulpit, you must catch it and make use of it daily. The bowl under the faucet. That's us, the church. And when you are making use of the word of God on a daily basis, then you will see, you won't be able to ignore it, the urgency of evangelism. Then you will want to tell others, and you're going to find ways to tell others. It will be at times very difficult. It will be intimidating, but there's still this burning. How can I share the gospel? Then everything else will pale in comparison. Your thirst for more of God's word will be so evident to you. And you will plead for more of God's word. And you will want to share God's word. It will flow from you like water from a spigot. And God will use you to transform the lives of others. You're the mouthpiece. He's the Savior. Now go and make disciples. Share the gospel. One person at a time. One episode at a time. Pray with me, please. Our Lord and our Savior, how grateful we are that you are with us when we speak your word and that we are not the convincing factors, but you are, O Spirit. We pray then that we would be faithful in sharing your word with others with a particular joy and pleasure, knowing that you are always with us. In your name we pray. Amen.